Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Well, you are in for a treat, and so am I, because for the next hour, buckle up, we've got Jeffrey Gurian. That's right. We are very, very blessed to have new listeners to this show all the time. And if you are about to hear Jeffrey Gurian for the first time, consider yourself lucky. And if you are someone that has heard my previous interviews with Jeffrey Gurian over the years, you already know what a treat you're in store for. Jeffrey Gurian is a comedy writer, a stand-up comic, a host, an author who literally writes books at a faster pace than I can read them. He's a producer, a director, a former practicing dentist, and if If this really is your first time hearing Jeffrey, do yourself a favor and go to the YouTube and search Who the F is Jeffrey Gurian? G-U-R-I-A-N. There is a wonderful short documentary about Jeffrey's life and career and his transition from the world of dentistry to the world of comedy. But the real reason uh, that I love having Jeffrey on all the time, but especially this time of year, is because he is our go-to expert with respect to all things happiness. And there are really two types of folks around this time of year. There's folks that really um, make the holidays a festive time and really get a, a kick at it, a jolt out of being with friends and families and going to different Christmas parties, different Hanukkah parties, and uh, it's a happy time for them. And there's a lot of other people who get very sad, very depressed this time of year. We'll get into some of the reasons as to why. But whatever category you fall into, prepare to benefit from the wisdom of Jeffrey Gurry. And Jeffrey, it is great to see you. Thanks for coming in. What an introduction. Thank you so much, Frank. It is always so great to be on with you. You are the epitome of positive energy. Well, I try to be. Some days it's tougher than others. (laughs) That's a very good point because you really have to work at it. It doesn't come naturally to people. It's It's... it's about learning to control your mind and your thoughts. And One of the things that um, I find, and I think a lot of people who are up right now listening at odd hours can probably relate to this, is it becomes very difficult to maintain a positive frame of mind when you're not necessarily getting enough rest, right? And I had, uh, you know... I had some friends that I was supposed to get together with last night, but I've been busy because uh, my wife is sick, uh, my son was sick before that, and uh, there's a lot going on at home. So I said I could really benefit from just an hour nap, and I hate to renege on a commitment to get together with anybody, but I benefited so much from the this hour nap. I feel like I am a totally different man after this <laughs> nap. I am curious with you. You're always so positive. You're always so energetic. You're always always kind of channeling, rowing in the right direction. You kind of uplift the uh, the spirits of everybody around you. What do you do in terms of sleep, in terms of rest? What, what's your sleep schedule like generally on days when you're not coming in studio late at night? Here? No, that's an interesting question for me. I, I'm a late person. I'm a night person. I don't, I'm, I don't understand morning people. Mm. So I'm usually up till 1 or 2 in the morning anyway. And uh, I wake up when my body wakes me up. But you're so right about needing rest and sleep. You know, there's an acronym called HALT. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. <laughs> I can relate. Yeah. I can relate. And when you're any one of those things, it really affects your mood and your thoughts. You know, it's so funny. When I used to work early mornings, I used to produce a morning show that started at uh, 5 a.m., which means really you get into work at 3.30 a.m., which means you're, you know, awake by 2 a.m. commuting. By the end of the work week, I would build up so such a sleep deficit, 
And I was just miserable. I would get depressed by the end of the week, and I would be poised to quit every every week. Absolutely, and I would always say, "Well, let me see where I am on Monday." And sure enough, come Monday, you're you you're refreshed the new outlook on life. Sunday was the uh, first day of Hanukkah. You are not only Jewish, but the author of the book "Holiday Hilarity: A Humorous History of Celebration." We're going to get into that in a second. What did you do for uh, for Hanukkah? I took out my menorah, and I lit my candles, and I said the three prayers in Hebrew, and I read them from Hebrew because I remember how to read Hebrew from when I went to Hebrew school as a kid. It's so interesting. I don't necessarily know what I'm reading. I don't know, (laughs) but I know how to say the words, you know, and it's very interesting. Hanukkah is a very interesting holiday. It was, you know, the Maccabees who were probably the first Jewish street gang. You know, people, people think of Jews as being very passive. And it's, it's interesting to me that I just said the word Jews because I like to say Jewish people instead of Jews. Jews sounds accusatory. Mm. When you say, I'm a Jew, you know, I'd rather say, I'm Jewish. You know, yeah, there's a like, different energy to right, it. Right, right. Same if you're saying blacks versus black people. Yeah, or, exactly. Uh, yeah. You know, Irishmen versus the Irish. You right, know, I there's get a it. different right. energy to it. Absolutely. And, and so uh, thousands of years ago, I think it was uh, two centuries before Christianity, um, the Syrian Greek Empire tried to get the Jewish people to bow down to a god named Zeus. And Jews were taught or Jewish people are taught not to bow down. And anyway, the temple got destroyed. The Maccabees, um, there was a guy named Mattathias who had five sons, and these guys were tough. And one of them was named John Gotti. And I'm telling You're you kidding. this. I, look on my phone. Oh, my goodness. Look on my phone. Yeah, but, anyway. uh, Mattathias was the father of Judas Maccabeus. Uh, but, 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 but. <laughs> John, John G- Gaddi, and I put it on my phone just <laughs> because I knew you were going to think I was kidding when I That's said John Gotti. Right? You know, people are always accusing John Gotti Jr. of being part Jewish. Now maybe there's a basis for that. That's very <laughs> exactly, interesting. Exactly, exactly. I funny. thought that was hilarious when I saw that. Uh, so there were tough guys, and they beat back. It was a three-year war, and the temple— and I've asked rabbis about this. I guess it was one major temple for all the Jewish people. It, it, uh, it accommodated thousands of people. The temple got destroyed. And when they won the war, when the Maccabees won the war, they took back the temple. They destroyed the idol that was there. And when they looked for the oil to light a lamp, all the oil had been defiled except for one canister of oil. And that one canister of oil they thought would only last one night, and it lasted eight nights. And that's the miracle of lights. That's where that came from. You um, you have this great book, Holiday Hilarity, A Humorous History of Celebration. One of the things that's—but uh, tell us about the book. We've spoken about this before, but what made you write this book? You know, it was suggested to me. Uh, a woman who was a, a best-selling author called me, and she said, you know— um, why don't you write a book about the holidays? And it was interesting because I always found holidays interesting. People are not aware of the history Mm -hmm. of the holidays. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to put a comedic flair to it. So I took 12 of our most famous holidays, and I researched them, and then I did a a whimsical look at each of the holidays. And I brought some facts. Do you have any idea when New Year's Eve started? I'm guessing December 31st, but uh, I couldn't tell you with certitude. 4,000 years ago, in ancient Babylon, the Babylonians celebrated the coming of the new year. There was a sky guard, a sky god. They believed his name was Marduk, and he conquered a sea goddess named Tiamat. Even in those days, it was a patriarchal society. (laughs) (laughs) So the the stories in here, they're not only humorous, but they're true. The history is true. They're true, but then I did a humorous look at them. So in those days, when the new year came, and this sounds like a weird story, and you'd think it's from my book, Man Robs Bank with His Chin, but Mm. it's the truth. It's, It's the emiss, as they say. A high priest would take the king to see whether he would stay king. And he would pull him by his ears on the ground in front of a statue and slap him in the face as hard as he could to try and elicit tears. The king, the king would be slapped? The king would be slapped as hard as he could wow. to see if, the, if, he, if it would el- elicit tears. 
And if the king cried because of being slapped, it would show that he had humility and they would let him stay for another year. Oh, so you want to be crying if yeah, you're the he, king. They wanted the king to cry to show that he was humble enough. And it said even Nebuchadnezzar, which is a name you don't hear much. You ever run into a guy named Nebuchadnezzar? It's been, it's been a while. At a party? It's been a while. <laughs> I was at a party recently. I ran into a guy named Pinocchio. I didn't believe one thing he said. <laughs> Not one thing. Did he look like he had a nose job? And I hate to be judgmental, too, right. but it was like, yeah, he looked like he had a nose job. So Nebuchadnezzar, even he was, he was a very powerful Babylonian king. Even he was slapped. That's wild. Isn't that interesting? I, I did not know that. Most what, people would not know. The thing, you've done a lot of very interesting things. You've worked as a writer and a producer with some of the biggest names in comedy. You've made a very unlikely transition from the world of dentistry, where you were very successful, to the world of comedy, where you're doing great now. You've uh, written a whole bunch of best-selling books. You survived uh, double COVID pneumonia <laughs> with a very serious uh, hospitalization. <laughs> but one of the things that I and so many of our listeners find amazing about you and so impressive is that you managed to maintain great relations with your ex-wife and you have talked about how you've celebrated other Jewish holidays with your ex-wife and with your with your your family with her do you what do you celebrate Hanukkah with anyone do you, are there any exes that you get together with for Hanukkah no I live by myself I celebrate you know I visit my children and I'm glad that you brought that up. It's a very important thing to me. I'm very grateful to my ex-wife because she gave me the gift of having my children. I have two amazing daughters that wouldn't be them if, mm. it, if it wasn't for my ex-wife's DNA. We had to meet, you know. What I've learned is that not everyone is supposed to be in your life forever. There mm -hmm. are people who are put in your life for a certain reason. My ex-wife was a wonderful person, and she was a great mom, and I thank her all the time. And I get together with her and her husband, and I have a very big extended family because of these principles that I talk about. They're ancient spiritual principles. And if you allow yourself to incorporate them into your life, there's no room for hatred or stuff like that. You know, um, it's very important to look at things in a certain way, to have a certain perspective. In my book, I write, you can't change your past. The only thing you could change is your perspective of your past, how you look at things. That's great. That's great. And Which book do you uh, focus that on? That's in Healing Your Heart by Changing Your Mind, a spiritual and humorous approach to achieving happiness. And people have written, it's got about 280 mostly five-star reviews on Amazon, and people write to me all the time and say that it's like, they call it a life-changing book, which is amazing for me because when you write it, you don't know how people are going to respond. I wrote it from my heart. It's the first time I ever really opened up about myself and about other things, about how I felt about things. And people, uh, people resonate with what's in the book. That's terrific. I, I love that. If people want to check out any of your books, by the way, they can go to uh, Amazon, just search Jeffrey Gurian, G-U-R-I-A-N. And if you have gotten one of the books previously, you might uh, want to issue a five-star review. If you want to call in, by the way, we're going to try and take as many of your calls as we can, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. The thing that I love about your book is one of the many things about holiday hilarity is your spelling of Hanukkah. You include the C. C-H-A-N-N-U-K-A-H. Uh, is that the proper way? And how did both spellings become acceptable over the years? Because most people are chachachly challenged. <laughs> they can't do the ch sound. You know, I had a friend uh, on radio. Her name is Chemda. And people can't say it. So uh, she does a show called Keith and the Girl. And I said, why don't you use your name? She goes, because people can't say Chemda. It's like, so for most people in the world who can't do the Ch, they do the H, Hanukkah. So, but, I, but, but I think the proper way is Hanukkah. How do you feel about people that say Chanukah? I've never met anyone who said Chanukah. I, 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 I say Chanukah from time to time. <laughs> yeah. But I've tried to dial that back because uh, I I offend so many people unintentionally. I better not uh, oh, I better People not get offended over they ridiculous do. I want to ask things. you about that yeah. in a little bit. Yeah. Um, another key question, and this is maybe much more polarizing than anything having to do with any political issue or anything along those lines. Your latka preference. Applesauce, sour cream, or I was reading a Hanukkah book to my son yesterday, and there's a Hanukkah bear in that book. He would eat the latkes with jam. Where do you come down? Applesauce, sour cream, Apple, or jam? Applesauce for sure. 
Sour cream is a, a close second, but applesauce is amazing. Potato latkes, you could eat them until you can't even leave the table. Your stomach will just blow that's, up. That's for sure. Like, that's for sure. <laughs> and the reason that's a traditional Hanukkah dish is because they're fried in oil, right? Yes, because when the Jewish people were out on the desert, that's how they— I guess that's where the unleavened bread came from, too. They didn't have yeast. They had no way to bake it. I think they baked it on the sand, I guess. I, You know, I'm not an expert in those things, but I read recently about potato latkes, and it's because of the oil. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you make potato latkes? I don't cook. You don't cook? I, I heat stuff up. Well, I cook a little bit. Okay. I make turkey burgers. Turkey burgers. Turkey burgers. Okay. That's my favorite— you know what I eat? I eat salad, and I buy a rotisserie chicken, and I cut it up. I eat things to keep my weight under control. Uh, this is an area where sort of comedy and Judaism intersects, and I think this is the first time I've seen you in person since this controversy occurred. Uh, Dave Chappelle hosted Saturday Night Live, and a lot of people took issue with some of the things that were in his monologue. He was sort of making fun of Kanye West, and some of the critics the critics of what Chappelle said was that he was reinforcing anti-Semitic tropes and parroting Jewish stereotypes with his comedy. I'm curious, did you have an opportunity to look at that Chappelle monologue, and did you find it offensive at all? You know what? I saw it. I don't really remember it. I don't hold on to things like that. What I do remember thinking was that he 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 played both sides of the coin. You know, people tend to do that. He's very clever with words. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't remember exactly what he said, but I remember thinking that, you know, it started out being very anti what Kanye said. By the way, I was with Jeffrey Ross last night, and he said he's probably the only Jewish guy left who's still wearing Yeezys. Because just because Kanye is anti-Semitic, it doesn't mean he, he that he can't be stylish anymore, you know. Um, <clears throat> but Dave Chappelle is a master wordsmith, and when you when a guy like that is talking about something controversial, they kind of take both sides. Uh, so that they're not really taking a stand against anything. When he started out, it sounded like he was putting down what Kanye said. But at the end, I don't remember how he ended it, but I remember thinking it wasn't particularly satisfying. Yeah, a lot of people were upset by this. And uh, there's another comedian, a Jewish comedian, by the name of uh, Ari Shafir. Do you know I, him? I know Ari very yeah. well, yeah. So a lot of his comedy deals with, uh, with kind of... Uh, reinforcing Jewish stereotypes about uh, about cheapness, about about things of that nature. And I could see how some people might be offended by that kind of material, even though uh, even though he is Jewish and making these remarks. Now, Rob Eshman, who's a columnist for The Forward, says that Jews shouldn't be uh, offended by either Dave Chappelle or Ari Shafir. How do you view Ethnic stereotypes, Jewish stereotypes, religious stereotypes. Is it okay to laugh at these? Where do audiences draw the line? Where do comics draw the line? What's okay to joke about? What's okay to laugh about? It's such a great question. You know, first of all, I hate stereotypes. I always, I hate when you can look at someone and think you know all about them. So I love people who break down stereotypes. Yeah, you would think that. Like, well, because, like... I don't fall into a category, but people want to put people in a category. They feel uncomfortable if they can't put you in a box. And I always thought, but everyone thinks I'm in the music business. You know, Page Six actually did a story recently because I was at an event some years ago, a black tie event. My hair was very long. And Paul Anka, uh, Billy Joel, and Keith Richards all made a stop at my table just to say hello to me. They had never met me before, but they assumed they had to know me, that I must have been some music executive. Um, When it comes to comedy, I think if people are smart, they know if you're coming from a place of love or a place of hate. Um, You have to use your intuition. I was the opening night act at the Martin Luther King Comedy Festival once. I was the only white guy on the show. And I said to the audience, I was finishing my set. And I realized there was an opportunity there. And I said to the, to the audience, are you guys into racial humor? And they said, yes. And I told some jokes. And the audience loved it. And I left the stage. And then I came back on stage, which I don't ordinarily do. And I asked the host for the mic. And I said, I want to thank the audience. I need to thank you all for being so cool, for allowing me to do jokes like that, because they were not hurtful. The audience loved the jokes. And I said, I look at comedy as a healing force. 
that brings everybody together. Mm. And if you can laugh at yourself, which you should be able to do, and then you could laugh at other people in a kind way, that's what makes the world a better place. And that's what comedy is supposed to be. So, you know, when we do jokes, we do jokes about stereotypes, even though I hate stereotypes. But, yeah, so there's, there's stereotypes of every ethnicity. And it's okay to do them. But these days, there are people who cannot wait to be offended by oh, something. Oh, well, that's for sure. That's for sure. And it's a very thin line. You know, I had a Chinese girlfriend for many years, and her English was terrible. And it gave me great jokes for my act. But I did very pro-positive jokes. I would say, I love Chinese people. Chinese people are the smartest people in the world. They have to be because they figured out how to speak Chinese. <laughs> because it's a very difficult language. It's like the Rubik's Cube of language. You could listen to that language your whole life and never figure out one word. And Chinese people in the audience love that because it was a very pro it was a very positive joke. Absolutely. Jeffrey Gurian is here. He's a comedy writer, a stand-up comic, a author, a producer, a director, former dentist. You could check out uh, ComedyMattersTV.com if you want to learn more about Jeffrey or his life and his career. Or you could just search that uh, that YouTube documentary I, I referenced, Who the F is Jeffrey Gurian, G-U-R-I-A-N. We'll take your calls in a moment. And uh, a comedic institution in New York and around the world is coming to end in just a few days we'll get into it with uh, jeffrey you want to comment you can 800-848-9222 this is the other side of midnight straight ahead the other side of midnight with frank morano it's the other side of midnight with frank morano Instead of one day of presents, we have eight crazy nights. The great Adam Sandler singing the Hanukkah song. I'm Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight, joined for the hour by Jeffrey Gurian, comedy writer, stand-up comic, host, author, producer. Check his uh, work out at ComedyMattersTV.com. Uh, speaking of Hanukkah, he's got a terrific book out, which is available on Amazon and elsewhere. It's called Holiday Hilarity, A Humor- Humorous History of Celebration. Jeffrey, I'm imagining you know Adam Sandler, right? I do, yeah. yeah. Well, do. what's he like? When I saw him last, actually, it was when he did his... Netflix special at the comic strip. He started at the comic strip. I did the book on the history of the comic strip Mm. with the recently deceased owner, Richie Tinkin, who was a legend in comedy. He managed uh, Eddie Murphy. He discovered Eddie, managed him for the first 11 years of his career, discovered Chris Rock, managed Colin Quinn, and he managed Adam Sandler in his very early days. And so um, when Jerry Seinfeld was doing his Netflix special... He did it at the comic strip, and he had asked me to keep it a secret, by the way, which I did for a few months because he didn't want people to know. They turned the club back into the way it looked in 1976, and he was doing his material from the early days. And then Adam Sandler did his special at the comic strip. Uh, Well, it was pre-pandemic, so I guess it was about three or four years ago that I saw him last. Why do you think you know he's been making this transition to a more serious actor, you know, he would oh, do an uncut gems, oh, yeah. uncut gems, fantastic, incredible dramatic, fantastic. Role. Yeah. You know, we've seen some people be able to make that uh, transition seamlessly. Andrew Dice Clay comes to mind. <clears throat> he was in uh, uh, the uh, Lady Gaga movie with Bradley Cooper. You know, I'm one of a the only, is born. I'm one of the only people that ever wrote for Andrew Dice really? Clay. Really? Wow. Yeah, and he says it. He says it openly on the radio. He credits me for but, that. So you have Andrew Dice Clay, yeah. you have Adam Sandler, Steve Martin to some extent. A lot of other comedic actors have tried to make that transition. They haven't been as successful. Why? Why is one actor able to make you laugh one day and make you cry the next, and some others are just kind of stuck in that box? It's difficult, for instance, to imagine Jackie Mason in a uh, dramatic role. (laughs) It's funny because I wrote a movie for Jackie Mason, and I took him to Caroline's when it was at the seaport because it was about a tough Jewish neighborhood. He was supposed to play a, um, uh, what do you call it, a private detective, like a nebbishy private, like kind of like Clouseau. 
You know? It's hilarious like already. A, I want to see this picture. A now. bumbling private detective, and there was a a ta- like a Hasidic motorcycle gang called the Ashkenazis, <laughs> and 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 so I found a group called Black Shabbos, which was a comedic group, a takeoff on Black Sabbath. You know, the heavy sure. metal group. And they were performing at uh, Caroline's when it was at the seaport. And I brought Jackie down there to see them because we were reminiscing about Caroline's because it's closing after 30 mm-hmm. years uh, on December 31st. And um, and I forgot what you asked me. What made so, you bring- oh, Well, first oh. of all, now I want to hear what happened uh, with that Jackie Mason picture. With uh, It never being- got made. He loved the oh, picture. Boy. It was called The Detective. And he, and, and he, he accidentally becomes a hero. Uh, terrorists want to take over our country. They realize they can't beat us militarily, so they're planning to unleash the dreaded pants virus <laughs> that would destroy every pair of pants in the country, leaving us a nation of men in our underwear. You know, it's f- and, and, and so Jackie solves that crime, you know? It's funny. I know that you are friendly with Sheba Mason, and uh, I know that you gave a very good review to uh, her show. About, I just went uh, to see it again yeah, at Caroline's. Uh, I, I'm yeah. sorry I, I missed it. Mm-hmm. I didn't get to see it, but... Um, we had her, she and the gentleman that plays Jackie in studio. Ian. Yeah, Ian. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. he's very good. Maybe you could redo that uh, picture with Ian as Jackie Mason playing that detective. Well, it's hilarious that you just said that. I just sent her the script because I, I oh, did her funny. show. She's got her own comedy club called Three Monkeys on West 54th Street. So I did the show uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I said, do you? Do you know about the film that I wrote for your dad? And she goes, no, send it to me. I want to see that. Oh, that's great. I so I just sent made. it to her. So it would that, be very interesting that, that would if be we fun. can get that done. Richard Belzer was a, another one who translated from right. comedy to serious acting. Comedians are very talented and they're very smart. I think you have to be smart to be a good comic. And it's harder to do comedy than to do drama. It's very hard to do comedy. Drama is fairly easy because, that, you know, you... You draw on the natural things that happen mm-hmm. in, in your life. Um, but not everybody can do that. That's you true. Can't, it doesn't translate That's very true. often. All right. Uh, a lot of people are eager to chat with you. Very quickly, though, you alluded to the fact that Caroline's Comedy Club is closing in just 11 days. I've been to Caroline's many times over the years, had a lot of great times there. You were there, there just last night with Jeffrey Ross? Yes, I had the honor of being on his last show. He, he headlined this past weekend. Five shows, everyone sold out, 300 people. There wasn't a seat to be had. And he, uh, we, we were on Fox TV uh, last week. They called me for my opinion because I'm considered a comedy historian. Oh, I, said, I, I think that's accurate, right? Does that make me old? I don't know. <laughs> so I said, but it was an honor. So I was on and Jeffrey was on. And he said that because it was his last weekend, he was going to open up his, his own show and allow some of his friends to come on and do spots. And so I had the honor of doing one of those spots last night. Oh, that, what, what a and treat. It, it was fantastic. Why are they closing? Have you talked to Caroline Hirsch yeah, about Yeah, I was with Caroline last night. A rent dispute. Mm. The landlord, after 30 years, the land, and, and, and it's a jewel in Times Square. Believe me, they really need Caroline to be there. She's been in that location 30 years. She's been uh, around for 40 years. I was at her original club when it was on 26th and 8th. Um, she had a small club then before it moved to the seaport, I think, in 1992. But that's where I first saw Jerry Seinfeld and Paul Reiser on the same night. For some reason, I remember the night I met them at that old club. So it was a rent dispute, and she refused to pay. I think they were raising her rent by 50%. <sighs> Unbelievable. And so she has big plans. She didn't say what they were. She said Caroline's is not going away. They just finished the 18th year of the New York Comedy Festival, the biggest comedy festival in the country, and it's going to continue. Now, she got her start, uh, speaking of exes, with her ex-husband, right? Neil Hirsch. Neil Hirsch, right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it's, uh, that's great that how things worked out with her, and I'm wishing her the best. Uh, Caroline's is yes. uh, a New York uh, institution, absolutely. a comedic institution. All right, 800-848-9222. Billy is in Pearl River. Hello, Billy. Hello, guys. How are you doing? Great, great. show. Thanks. Uh, I'd like to ask Dr. Jeff, does his hair ever get in the way of him being a dentist? And what's the difference between uh, Christian girls and Jewish girls in New York? Whoa, that's a hard question. Um, My hair, you know, I was banned from dental school because I grew a mustache. And I I wish I had the picture. My hair was so short. 
But in Philadelphia in those days, if you were a turtleneck, they thought you were one of the Beatles. <laughs> it was like a, it was a very conservative time. And these days, the, the dean of that dental school invites me. I, I'm actually doing a lecture there in February on my approach to TMJ pain and headaches. And so things really turn around from a school that I was banned they told me that I was a disgrace to the profession wow. because I wanted to grow a mustache. That's how serious it was. But and you didn't have that wild and crazy hair that you have now back no, then. No, I had very short hair. Yeah. But to them, it, I was a, a radical. And, uh, and it was, it was, it was uh, a terrible experience. Billy, what was the punchline to your joke? Billy? I'm not joking. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. It sounded like a setup. Right, to Dr. A joke. Jeff seems like a guy who gets around. You know, it's a fun time. So <laughs> I. Thought, you know, he could give us some insights. Maybe he'll give that, that answer off the air, Billy. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Simon is in Brooklyn. Hello, Simon. Yeah. Happy holiday. Happy Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Likewise. Um, yeah, you too. Um, yeah, I, we were talking about, um, you know, people making um, roasting, how you could call it, or, or making fun of other religions. And I think it's a great thing. Look at Don Rickles. He was like the... If you look at his um, productions, he was the biggest roaster. He made fun of blacks, Jews, Christians, Catholics, and people loved it. And there was never a problem with, uh, um, you know, I think it was a different time zone. But mm -hmm. today, everyone is so, um, you know, like the, everyone is, it's, it's a whole different world. So maybe, you know, maybe, um, it's a, you know, it's a different generation. So people are more sensitive. But and, uh, and look at the days of Don Rickles when you go on Letterman and, there were more. Um, there were. They had. Um, uh, the, they used to roast people, and it was very, very outspoken. He I called mean, people a YouTube, hockey puck. You mm. Remember that? Everything. You <laughs> yeah. Know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess the difference, Simon and Jeffrey, is if yeah. you're making a joke that reinforces a negative stereotype and it leads people to think that there's 100%. some truth to the stereotype, right? Uh, exactly. You know, uh, yeah. blacks yeah. being criminals, uh, American Indians being drunk, <laughs> Jews being cheap and controlling the media. No. You know. If you there's grow up, Italians 100%. being gangsters, right, exactly. and all, yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. If, if you, if you, Don, the thing is, Don Rickles, he could have, he did it. He went, he was out. You know, like he said things which which someone today cannot say. Yeah, I mean, well, I, I guess that's what my question to Jer Jeffrey was all about. It's like, where do you draw that line? What's okay these days? Well, you know, I, I don't know. There are jokes you that can hurt know, people's you know feelings. I think, I think, I think, if the people after Don Rickles, after he made a show, he he apologized everybody and he really wasn't sincere if you do it sincerely you know and i think that brings out everyone then things will calm down because sometimes you just got to hit it hard and you know all the religions and every i think people like that it brings out the humor of everyone's uh, religion i don't if you do if, if you come off that way you're not like you know you're going to start um bang you know putting people down or others but it's a, it's well, incredible that it, you know if you know anything about the friars roast the friars' roasts were brutal, mm -hmm. and I was the main writer for 12 years, and I used to go over to the person being honored, and I'd say, is there anything that you don't want joked about that would hurt your feelings? Because I never wanted to write a joke that sure. would really hurt somebody. When Chevy Chase was roasted, he actually told the audience that he was very hurt by the jokes. He was roasted three times, and he did it for charity, and they made terrible fun of him. And he was actually really hurt by the jokes. And he said it that night. I was there. And so um, you can hurt people oh, with, yeah. with, you know, with oh, what yeah. you say. These days, roast battles can be very cruel. It's a new thing that they do where you say the most horrible things about the other person. If someone's family, uh, if someone has cancer, they use that as a joke. Mm -hmm. To me, that's not funny. Um, I would never do stuff like that. And I think I don't like mean-spirited humor. Uh, speaking of roasts, a guy that was very well known for uh, being a roast master and doing roasts better than anybody was uh, Freddie Roman. Couple married 47 years. The lady becomes ill, she passes away. Funeral service is over. The pallbearers lift up the coffin, start to walk out. The coffin hits the wall. From inside the coffin you hear, oh my God, a miracle the lady lived. She lived another three years, got sick again, died again. Another funeral. Service is over. The pallbearers lift up the coffin, start to walk out. The husband yells, watch out for the wall. 
<laughs> I imagine you knew Freddie Roman. Oh, I knew Freddie very well. Well, you know, I had a profile done in the New York Times, and they took pictures of me backstage at Catskills on Broadway with Freddie and Dick Capri. And Freddie said, I was the only one who looked like he was in show business. They all looked like dentists. <laughs> That's the quote in the New York Times. Yeah, I knew Freddie. He said, uh, you know, I knew him for about 40 years. He was the dean of the Friars Club. What made him so special as a, as a comedic talent? Well, first, you could see by the way he spoke. He, 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 he was an actor. Like, he, he really, people don't perform that way anymore. Um, it's a certain style. And he had his own style. And he was just sharp. I had a story with him once. He was the roast master for a big roast. And I was writing jokes for him. And I'm very absent-minded. And he lived in New City, I think. And I drove all the way from Manhattan to New City. And he got out of bed. He, was, he had just flown home from doing a tour. And he got out of bed to meet with me. And I opened my case. And I had forgotten to bring the jokes. <laughs> I, drove, I drove all the way to oh, his geez. house. He gets out of bed to meet with me. And like a schmo, um, I don't have the jokes with me. And I didn't know what to say. I was dying. So I, I, I said, I'm so sorry. I drove all the way back to Manhattan and drove back to his house with the jokes again. That's very funny. And uh, that's the kind of stuff that I Self-sabotage. <laughs> something I like to talk about. Self-sabotage. 800-848-9222. Mordecai is in New Jersey. Hello, Mordecai. Hi. Hi. Happy Hanukkah, Jeffrey and Frank. Thank you. Same to you. I bet you know a lot about Hanukkah with a name like Mordecai. Oh, it's Mordecai. I was actually going to tell you that. It's Mordecai. You tell everybody it's Mordecai. It's just easier to pronounce. <laughs> Mordecai, right? Mordecai, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I just wanted to let you know that we also eat donuts on Hanukkah because it's deep fried in oil. Sure. No, I've, I've seen that. And, you know, different Hanukkah celebrations, I've been that. Uh, donuts have been a, uh, a staple. So thank you, Mordechai. Happy Hanukkah. Hopefully uh, it's a good one. Uh, and hopefully you uh, make the most out of your eight days of uh, presents. Tommy, two times, is in Brooklyn. In Brooklyn. Hello. Uh, good morning, guys. Uh, good morning. Um, listen, I, I was in DBC for like over two years. and I had a, a better outlook when I was being mindful and, and, and doing the... Uh, what is DBT? Um, the, the, uh, dialectical behavioral therapy it teaches you about mindfulness and and how to look at new dialectics and so forth for uh, how to, how to, I have I have anger issues and stuff like that and actually Curtis has been very helpful to me with that he's like a counselor to me. I call him that you as well Frank you know and uh, I like it because you guys are different and there's different dialectics and it helps you make better uh, thought processes for me it does this, how I work it and uh, I was thinking something about you you had a thought I have a thought about um, when you had issues with Avery, uh, you know, like he sits there and he doesn't, uh, you know, interact with you, maybe you take the elite here and um, engage with him and tell him what you said the other night about how, you know, how his, his spiel with Curtis was, was good. Talk to him about it, you know? Nah, you know, that's it, okay. It's okay. I, yeah, I actually I prefer him not saying anything when he's here. Let, let him save that for Curtis on the weekend. Thank you, though, Tommy. We're going to continue with Jeffrey Gurian in a minute. Uh, Je- we'll talk about uh, seasonal affective disorders, sadness, and happiness in just a moment. You have questions. Uh, Jeffrey has answers. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Heaven, I'm in heaven, and my heart beats so that I can hardly speak, and I seem to find the happiness I seek. When we're out together dancing cheek to cheek Heaven, I'm in heaven The great Fred Astaire uh, singing about dancing cheek to cheek 
Uh, Jeffrey Gurian is, I'm not sure how much of a dancer he is, but he is one of the gifted communicators I've ever had the opportunity to get to know. He's a comedy writer, stand-up comic himself, a host, an author, a producer. You can check out some of his work at ComedyMattersTV.com. We're taking some of your calls at 800-848-9222. But if Jeffrey has one passion, even greater than dentistry and comedy combined, it is... Happiness. And uh, we see around this time of year, uh, Jeffrey, a lot of people dealing with what they call seasonal affective disorder, which is very appropriately acronymed as SAD. Sad. Why do we see so many people who get down in the dumps this time of year? I am really so glad that you brought that up because it's a very real thing. And I Mm -hmm. suffered with it for many years. And it has to do with sensitivity. And I think that people in general are much more sensitive than they even realize um, I'm sensitive. I'm an empath. I had, I had to learn that. And I've been told that by many people who know Um, I feel more than I want to feel. There was a time if I was with you and you were sad, I was sadder for you than you were. I overfelt my feelings. I'm like an antenna for feelings. When seasons change and it's dark, it affects me. I'm sensitive to light, to color, to the people in the room that I'm with, to the actual room that I'm in, which is why In my books, I I teach people to create their own happiness center in their home where they live. I don't care if you have one room or a mansion. It's very important to surround yourself with brightness, with things that make you happy. Every place you look should be something that makes you feel good inside, whether it's pictures of people. In my house, I have balloons. It may sound silly. Mm. People would think children live there. There's balloons all the time because balloons are a symbol of happiness. I have crayons and toys and bright colors My carpeting is white. My piano is white. My car is white. Because when I'm surrounded by darkness, it makes me sad. Now, it's not like it used to be. I worked my way through it because I personally learned to use my sensitivity as a strength and not as a weakness. Growing up as a sensitive boy, it feels like a weakness. And in our society, Mm. women are mostly affected by it because our society likes to tell women that they're too sensitive which is a terrible message because if people were more sensitive, they would be kinder to each other. And sensitivity happens to be a great strength. And until people learn that, it makes you feel like a a burden. So SAD, seasonal affective disorder, is very real, and it used to really bother me. When when we have to turn the clocks back, by the way, I don't know why they don't do away with with daylight savings time. Every year they promise they're going to do it, and they do nothing. This is a twice-a-year rant uh, for me. The, oh, well, the, I'm so the, glad yeah, that you uh, feel the uh, same uh, way. This is one of my biggest issues. One me. year, many years ago, they did it. I think it had something to do with the oil crisis mm-hmm. or something. They did it one year, and it stayed light out. When I was in Europe, it's light out till 9, 10 o'clock at night. I don't know that they could do that here, but they should do away with daylight savings time. And it does nothing. Oh, don't get me started. I completely agree. But so you do have the issue with light and the lack of sunlight, and people do get depressed they when get it's dark affected. at 4.30 yes, in the afternoon. Exactly. Uh, my wife is very affected by this. She uh, looked out the window at 5 o'clock the other day, and she said if this was summer, it would be bright out for another three and a half hours. Exactly. And it does lead to a feeling of... Um, I don't know, uh, of fatigue on the one sense and uh, depression, you know, for lack of a better description. Sadness and depression, and it's very real. What strategies can you suggest to people to combat that? Let's say they do find themselves really affected by this. And I'll point out that I think a lot of the people listening to us right now might be people that work at night and are sort of nocturnal, and they may deal with that same sort of lack of sunlight, at least during the week, they could probably benefit from some of those same strategies. What would you suggest to people? To create brightness in your apartment where you live. That's what I was trying to bring out before, that it's very important. Um, People live in dark apartments, and they wonder why they're sad. Some people don't have windows in their apartment. There are lights. They actually sell these lights that combat uh, seasonal affective disorder. Um, I don't know where to get one, but you could probably get it on Amazon. But the idea is that they understand. People are like plants in a sense. We need water. We need light. We need nutrition, you know, energy, positive energy. And so, again, I practice what I preach. If you came to my house, you'd see everything is bright and fun. People walk in. They're like, is this a party? And I'm like, always. There's always 
things around that make me smile you because know, otherwise I could be very affected by that. It, it's so funny. I I didn't do it, you know, mindfully. I didn't do it strategically. But in my office, you come in my office and you see um, shelves and shelves of bobblehead dolls, mostly bobblehead dolls of presidents. But uh, you have, uh, you know, a bunch of other people as well. And my little cousins were over recently and, uh, you know, they were all, you know, children, 10, 11 years old. Right. And they all took note of how, you know, it was almost like a, a child's office in that there were toys and dolls all over the place. So uh, those do bring me a lot of joy. I think that is a great suggestion right. for people. Inner child is very important. Inside you, there's little Frank Morano. When you were a little kid and your friends would come to call for you and say, can Frank come out to play? And you get all excited. That's not supposed to stop just because you grow up and do serious things. You're supposed to stay connected. My inner child's my best friend. Mm -hmm. When I'm home alone, I'm thinking of crazy things. I'm saying unusual names. I make up stuff for myself. If someone heard me, they'd probably think I was insane. Oh, yeah, no, same, same here. <laughs> but I, but I laugh. I laugh all the time when I'm alone, and people need to do that for themselves. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. One of the other things that we see around this time of year is people not only getting sad because of the lack of light and because it, the sun is setting at uh, two fifteen in the afternoon, but um, a lot of folks, especially people that might be up late listening to us right now, they may have family members that have passed on or they mm-hmm. may not have any family at all. And they see all these Christmas movies on the Hallmark channel. They hear on the radio, these great songs and great stories of people getting together for Hanukkah, Christmas Eve, Christmas day, new year's day with their family and with their friends. And they may not have anybody to get together with. And a lot of times, that will uh, lead to a greater sense of despair and depression. As someone who lives alone, what advice would you give to somebody that's listening to us right now who feels lonely and particularly lonely this time of year? Yeah, you know, there are times, look, I'm very upbeat, but there are times that I myself can feel that. I personally, I go to comedy clubs. I hang out. Uh, interacting with other people is very important. And, you know, I hate social awkwardness. I always, I describe myself as a gregarious isolator. I want to know everybody, but not that well sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, because sometimes people can make you feel uncomfortable too. Um, But I go to comedy clubs. I listen to other comedians perform. Comedy is a tremendous healing force. It's not just, you know, I'm on the board of this group called LaughMD, and LaughMD brings comedy to hospitals. Also, comedy cures. I don't know if you've heard of that. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I performed at uh, Sloan Kettering for cancer patients. They actually wheeled people out on IVs to make them laugh because, unfortunately, sick people don't get a lot of contact. They don't have opportunities to laugh. So it's a very powerful, uh, very powerful thing. Healing, comedy is definitely a healing force. Laughter is the best medicine. You've heard people say mm-hmm. that for years, and it's very true. So I, I, I'm i very glad to be part of this group. I think they just got accepted at NYU, and they're going to be in Terrific. hospitals all around the country bringing comedy on iPads to people who need to laugh. That's wonderful. I mean, I guess if you're performing at a at a hospital, that's the one place that you really don't want to kill. Right. <laughs> and you got to work clean. <laughs> I can imagine. Hey, have you noticed that I'm wearing my WABC I, I pin? Back the blue. My back the it. blue pin. I went, John Katsimatidis had this great event on Second Avenue, uh, you know, backing the blue. And there were some great speakers. And Rita Cosby was there from the thing, from uh, WABC. And Bo Deedle was there. And a whole bunch of people from the network. And I was there, and I got one of these pins. It. Uh, it's great. I, it's great. I've, uh, I've, I've got a couple myself that I've managed to uh, purloin. 800-848-9222. You mentioned you were at, the com- you were at uh, Caroline's yesterday uh, performing as part of this Jeff Ross set. If people want to see you perform, uh, anything forthcoming that you could tell us about that people could plan for? You know, I don't have a regular schedule. I perform when people ask me, um, but I'm going to have a big announcement very soon this comedy show i had mentioned it before i was named executive producer of a new show that we're in the planning stages and i have a deal with a very big comedy club in new york a very exclusive Mm. comedy club where we're going to be shooting it from 
and it's a comedy competition slash reality show. Oh, really? Something very different than has been done. So that'll be in 2023. Yes, well, absolutely. Exciting. 2023, and I'll be announcing it on your show. Terrific! I as can't soon wait. As it progresses a little bit more. Hey, that will be fun. Uh, the comedy world did take note that uh, somebody that's been part of the Saturday Night Live family for a long time, Cecily Strong is actually leaving. Uh, she joked about this in character on Weekend Update this past but I weekend. I had a lot of fun here, and I feel really lucky that I got to have so many of the best moments of my life in this place with these people that I love so much. But uh, I don't know. I guess take that with a grain of salt, being that I have addiction issues. <laughs> Does Saturday Night Live still have the same place in comedy today as it did 20, 30, 40 years ago? Isn't that an amazing question, though, mm-hmm. that, that a show that's been on for more than 40 years? It's unbelievable. It is amazing, right? right? Yeah, I've been going since the very early days. I haven't been there a while, but I'm friends with a bunch of the people on the show. Colin Jost, who gave me blurbs for my book. Michael Che, Pete Davidson used to come and do my late night show at the comic strip wow. when he was just a teenager. You know, and so I've seen these people progress. Um, Lauren Michaels did an amazing thing to create a show that's on for more than 40 years. You know, sketches are the hardest thing to do. It's easy to get into a sketch, very hard to end it. That was the beauty of Monty Python, mm-hmm. because they could just say, well, that's it. That's the end of the sketch. We're <laughs> done. You know, but it's very hard to work your way out of a sketch and be funny. Sketches can be clever, but. To sustain a live show for more than 40 years, is it's inconceivable. It, that, so, that's for sure. So uh, I, I, there's sort of an artful dodge on my question. Uh, well, that's you know, okay. It, it's it's okay. Hard, it, it, I don't judge. I respect everybody that goes on stage. People, who, people, who have never, people who have never performed comedy don't know how hard that is. To get up on a stage and try to convince strangers that what you think is funny is actually funny is an unbelievable thing to do. It took me many years to get the courage to do that. That's a uh, great, great point. 800-848-9222. Before we run out of time, let me say a little Craig in New Jersey. Hello, Craig. How you doing? Uh, I've been listening to the show, and I've been listening to Jeffrey. Uh, Jeffrey, we graduated dental school together. Really? You went to Tempo? Craig Wilson. Amazing, Craig. Yes, I remember your name, for sure. Craig, look, we're going to have you back when we do Jeffrey Gurian, This Is Your Life. I'm sorry we're out of time. Call again in the future. Jeffrey, the time always flies by when you're here. Thank you. Always. Thank you so much. It's always so nice to be on with you. Thank you. It's amazing. Check out Jeffrey's book, Holiday Hilarity, A Humorous History of Celebration. And you also want to check out the book, Healing Your Heart. There's a lot of great happiness strategies in there. Check them out on Amazon, G-U-R-I-A-N, or you can search Comedy Matters TV. Until next hour, keep asking questions.